Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 110 of my Coffee with Friends. This is your friend Craig taking a delicious sip of coffee. Mm. On uh, what is shaping up to be another hot summer day here on the Outer Banks. Heat index 107. I don't know why I use that voice. It just seems so dramatic. I'm curious about the history of the heat index. Uh, because it seems like humans with numbers, we're always really good at expanding. I mean, think about money. Uh, as an example, there's, you know, the Saudi wealth fund has been funding its own soccer league and they've been buying soccer players, football players from big teams and the numbers that they're paying these players. And it's just like with golf is so crazy, like four times the highest crazy number previously. And it's, it's, it's like, you can't even track it. It's like pinball machines, right? The scores keep getting bigger. So you just got to wonder if our measuring is just like, we just like bigger numbers and it is getting hotter. Things are changing. Climate change is real. All of that. I just, with human imagination, we are also expansive, right? We like to like do bigger. So anyway, it's going to be hot today, hot summer day on the Outer Banks, but it has been beautiful. And as I mentioned, we're coming up on uh, Lamas, which is that fat first harvest where things are, are good, living is good in the summer and you get to celebrate with your friends and have a feast and swim in the water and sweat a little bit and have a few laughs and just kick your feet up for a second and get ready for what's next. And I relish that. I truly, truly relish that. Yesterday was one of those days where you think it's going to be one way and it turns out another way. And it wasn't anything major, but it was a reminder that each day is a gift and you just never know when something's going to call you. So I am the chairman of the board of the Friends of Jockey's Ridge and we are hiring a new executive director and we've been doing interviews. So we've been without an ED for a month and we've all been kind of filling in. So lots of decisions made and chain emails. And I don't know about you, but chain emails from me is like, if it's, you get to email three, if there's information in a previous part of the thread, <coughs> well, excuse me. Um, sometimes I just miss it. And so, uh, I had interviews scheduled for today, nine thirty to eleven thirty, over at the visitor centers at Jockey's Ridge State Park. And, on my calendar and one of my board members was with me on that. And I got a call from the park director who's our partner. And I was like, Oh, the park director is calling me. I'm cool. I'm the chairman. I get called by the park director. It made me feel good. And then I checked the message and it was like, Hey, there's a, you know, so-and-so is here for an interview. And I just was like, Oh shit. So I went back and I looked at the chain emails and of course it said Thursday, not Friday. And so I was like, oh man. So I um called and said, hey, I'll be right over. So we basically started the interview 30 minutes late and 
my board member partner also had the information wrong. So somewhere in there, we miscommunicated and all was well that ended well and had to eat a little crow at the candidate because you don't want to make people wait, right? And all good in the end. And we've got a change in there, which is the, for me, the practice is like, hey, if we're going to book something together that deals with the park and the visitor center, we're going to send a calendar invite to everybody involved, which, you know, get multiple eyeballs on there so that there's redundancy and the safety mechanism so we don't have this happen. So, you know, a little bit of extreme ownership and then calendar correction. And it, and what made me think of this is that last night, you know, we like the day was just full. And so last night I was cleaning the kitchen up about, I don't know, 1030. And I found my cup of coffee that was not completely finished. And because I had been drinking the coffee after dropping Vera off, and that's when I got the call. And I was like, oh, no, no. and then like everything changed, and I was just like out the door. And I just was like, oh, I didn't even finish my cup of coffee. It's like, dang. I mean, I'd had enough coffee that I was fully functional. I was a fully functional space station, but there was still coffee. And I was like, dang, that's how it works. Like sometimes you're just cruising along, and then something happens, and then everything you were doing stops, and then you have this whole adventure. And you just hope that the adventure is good or at least mild enough. And I was thinking about, gosh, how many people's adventures um, are different? And we've all had those moments in our life. And that's just the way it goes. Today is Friday. And the band Everything is having a virtual writing camp. So we'll spend about four hours together today, another six tomorrow. And we begin begin we begin we begin in earnest on our journey towards making what we hope to be the best album we've ever made no pressure right and it is a beautiful and eerie process to bring something from nothing i used to really really struggle with this as a young person and i've talked about this in my rarefied air podcast but just I loved writing. And then at some stage when it became my career and all my hopes and dreams were on it, I got scared of writing because I was afraid that what I was going to do wasn't going to be good enough. And I stopped trusting myself and I started to chase shadows. And I was worried that the music was going to leave me and did I run out of ideas and then nah, nah, nah. and it's like none of that is true. The music is eternal. The expansive creation is eternal. And we can coax it into reality and make it who we are. And in the music industry, you create products and sometimes trying to control the making it static that you can sell and replicate, but it's fluid. It's eternal. And you can find eddies and you can play with it and you can put it in buckets and stuff like that, but it's always flowing. Moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. And it used to torture me. I used to be a tortured artist. And I'm less tortured now. And ready to tell stories and speak of emotions and talk of experiences and share vibration. And that is amazing. The medicinal depth of music and shared conversation and shared heart space which is my segue into today's topic. Uh, I want to talk about Sinead O'Connor. Ah, like many of you, 
I heard the news of Sinead O'Connor's passing with sadness. And I think we all had different thoughts about her, depending on how old you were, how deep into the music you got, what era where you read about her. And it's heavy. She was a beautiful, deep, and heavy soul, filled with light and gravity and passion and distortion and mental dis-ease and deep spirituality and compassion and ego. And this is my perception. Right? You might have something different. So remember, when I say words, this is just my experience. And I, you know, I was kind of meditating on Sinead O'Connor. And as I did a little bit of research this morning, I pulled up an article that was just sort of like the summation of what was going on to remind me of some things, because she's really been kind of in the background for a while. And then an article about somebody who had an experience and talked about a, a sort of a, a thing that was talked about, and I'll get to those. And then I remembered the album Gospel Oak. So like many people who are Generation X, uh, I heard of Sinead O'Connor through Nothing Compares to You, this striking song written by Prince, who was an unbelievable songwriter, and to see him write for other people and to see this shockingly direct and honest young woman sing this song, you know, shaved head, big blue doe eyes that were, uh, they had as much intensity as like a Jared Leto. You know what I'm talking about? Jared Leto with those doe eyes that look like he could blink a few times and put you into a trance. Let the alien steal your soul. Like that kind of intense. Um, so she comes on the scene and blows up. And, and for me, I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is a powerful song. And like, I don't know if you're like this, but when I believe in the art of discovery with music. So a lot of times I like to discover things. I like it on my own terms. I like to bring it into my world. And sometimes with pop culture, with the machines of repetition and all that, you get bludgeoned with things. And sometimes you just, you'll reject great things simply because it's, it's hitting you too much. And I didn't reject it. I onboarded it in my own way and was like, good song, interesting performer, cool. And she was on my radar and, you know, heard about her and stuff. And then, you know, she kind of, she had that moment in 1992 when she ripped up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live and that changed her career forever. And I was just reading about that in the article. I was like, oh, that's right. And I was on the road as a musician. I was in my own world. I wasn't like totally dialed into her journey, but I was aware of it. And thinking back, like with what she experienced in her upbringing and the abuse that she had as a young woman in the music industry, young woman in this world, young woman coming through the institutions that she went through and the abuse that she suffered as a young person. That was a very bold move because there are 
millions of people who practice Catholicism. So you have, in that moment, in protest for truth, have also gotten on the wrong side of many people whose practice that is. So it's a really, really, really huge move. And she was even talking about in this article I was reading where she was like, yeah, people were saying how I ruined my career, but she's like, I didn't ruin my career. I ruined the career that you projected onto me that actually had to do with your career if you were in the music business and were attached to my talent. And there's truth in that. And so, you know, she essentially stopped what was a natural progression for herself in the music industry, which is a very specific road, especially for young women. And that has changed, thankfully. And I was on that road. I, I, I wanted to be on that highway. Put me on the highway. I'll, I'll do what it takes. And I also learned my lessons about wanting to do that, trying to do that, and the, the realities of industry, the music industry, and the replication game that goes with it, and all of the greed, and the hopes and dreams, and all of the falderall, if you will. So she took all of this on herself. And it's a lot. And she's a complicated person. There's a lot of ego in there. <coughs> Excuse me again. And she kind of, she didn't go away, but she was on a rocket and then the rocket sort of changed and she was in a different zone. So in 1997, she put out a record called Gospel Oak. And I would say that, the, you know, the mainstream rocket she was, you know, not the hot young thing. She was not on her way up. She was just where she was and had become a controversial figure. Some of it her fault, some of it society's fault, the industry's fault, whatever. It's complicated, right? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people are complicated. And I love this album, Gospel Oak. The song, the opening song, This Is To Mother You, is so tender and beautiful. It changed the way I looked at Sinead O'Connor. And I've actually forgotten about it. I used to listen to that all the time because like in the late 90s, I was going through my own struggles. I was beginning to like really drink way too much and like just go over the edge. And this song is so beautiful. Her vocal performance is so beautiful. It's so, it's, it's motherly. It's feminine. It's deep. It's compassionate. And I, it's funny because I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. And until I was thinking about this podcast and saying, what would I say about Sinead O'Connor? Because I don't want to just dive in and talk about somebody who's passed, who's famous, who's a musician just to do it. There needs to be some meaning there. And as I was doing it, I was like, oh yeah, Gospel Oak. And I was listening to it before I did this podcast. And it's just such a beautiful record. Like it's one of those records where you're like, this is world-class. This should change, you know. And it did okay. I mean, you look on Spotify, it's like some of these songs have like a million spins for somebody that is so talented and so deep. And it was such an honor to listen to it again. 
So I highly encourage you. I'll try to put the link in the podcast. You can listen to it on Spotify or wherever you want to listen to it, wherever you stream music. It's a beautiful, beautiful, world-class piece of work. It was a game changer for me. I wish I could play it acoustically, but I, you know, it's hard for me to sing, uh, you know, this is to mother you because I'm not a mother. I'm a father. And yeah, once again, so just go ahead and listen to that. And it's interesting. So there's this guy, David Hinckley. Is that his name? He wrote a Medium article. Uh, David Hinckley used to write for the New York Daily News, Daily Post, something. Dude, news, Daily News. What did he write for? Hey, David Hinckley, you wrote for the New York Daily News for 35 years. And he wrote an article about Sinead O'Connor called Hard to Say if Sinead O'Connor Ever Found What She Was Looking For. Uh, I guess because she knew you too, and she's Irish. Okay. Um, but he talked about this interesting incident, and I actually want to break it apart a little bit because I think it has to do with uh, complexities around trauma and sensitivity, uh, which I can actually speak to from direct experience. Um, and the way that people talk about things and the press – because it's, you know, game of telephone. And so after 1992, she, you know, tore up the picture of the Pope and that changed the game for her. And she, there's a famous moment, and I remember hearing about it, but it was kind of a blur. The 90s were a blur. And there's a Bob Dylan tribute concert in 1992, October 16th, 1992 at Madison Square Garden, where she was supposed to sing a Bob Dylan song and she got booed off stage because it was not long after she tore up the, the picture, like within like two weeks. And David Hinckley was there and he said it was, he saw it a little differently. And he was saying that she came up on stage and the band was there and that people were fine. That, you know, people were just, you know, kind of anticipating what was going to happen. They weren't like booing her. They just didn't know what to make of it. So the sounds were not like, <sighs> I was just kind of, and she waved the band off a few times because she wasn't feeling right about the energy. And then people got a little restless and she went into a little bit of, I think, the war song by Bob Dylan, which is what she did Saturday Night Live. And then uh, Chris Christopherson came and said something to her. And then she hugged him and, and walked off. And you should read the I'll put the article in there. It's, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. And David Hinckley is basically saying, yeah, she didn't get booed off stage. It was just a little weird. And she wasn't comfortable. And then people got restless. And then she left, and then people said, like, oh, she got booed off stage. And I was like, oh, there's so many subtleties there. And I have been, you know, I've talked about this a bunch where I'm 10 years sober. I've been through some things. I had some things happen as a kid that, like, changed me. And I'm a sensitive person, and it took me a long time to get a handle on my sensitivity, my psychic energy, my emotions. Um, and I would, when I was on the road and around people all the time, I would drink just to like turn off the energy because it just would never stop. The information would never stop. I was never at peace. Um, and in hindsight, it's like, okay, you know, there's ways to work on that, right? I just was not a, a sane or sober person at the time. 
And for someone like Sinead O'Connor, who came up Catholic, a woman who had abuse and is sensitive, it's easy to see how when she was standing on stage at Madison Square Garden, so sensitive and knowing what she just did, being so sensitive, what she actually needed was a huge red carpet of applause and kindness and like welcoming in order for her to feel comfortable to do her job. And when that didn't happen, her ego stepped in to protect her. And she just was like, do the wave off. Cause I've been in those spots where you're just like, Oh my God, it's not right. And it, it trauma changes the way that you perceive threats. And I've learned this uh, through trauma-informed yoga, where you just, you know, when people have real trauma, you have to be really mindful of how you approach them, just energetically, verbally, all of that stuff. And And this, once again, this is just me reading this article and putting myself in that position. So I could be totally wrong. So take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm not an expert on Sinead O'Connor. I just have my own experiences with that. And reading this article, it's just like, oh, yeah, she didn't just get booed off stage. There's a dynamic at play. And she's an artiste. She has a specific way that she wants things because she is so sensitive. And when you hear the song, This Is to Mother You, and you feel that precious, tender moment, that's what she's going for. And that's what we pay her for as fans. It's like any artist, right? The most tender and sensitive thing you can talk about that is so hard to describe. And then you give it a vibration that says, I, we resonate here. And look, there's party music and booty music and car music and boat music, all kinds of music. But Sinead O'Connor was the most tenderest of hearts. The sacred heart that's been trampled on that is looking for just a moment to breathe in the tiniest sliver of light in which to crawl through out of whatever darkness you have a thread like a spider crawling out into the light just trying to get it do spiders like light i don't know maybe that's not a great metaphor and I'm grateful for Sinead O'Connor's music and that she did do what she did because it brought things into the light about the institutions of spirituality, especially the Catholic church, because even in the quest for enlightenment in the hands of humans built into institutions that pull in money, influence, and power the quest for enlightenment can be a bulldozer of darkness. And it's up to us to be truthful to the best of our ability. And these words are also a note to self because I struggle every single day to try to be a sane and sober person in this world. And I stumble a lot. And I know that Sinead O'Connor stumbled and we read about her stumbles, maybe more than her regular walking through life, the normalcy, the boring shit, because I bet you she was more boring than not. But then again, I don't know. I did not walk a mile in Sinead O'Connor's shoes. 
So hopefully she finds peace. Hopefully we can integrate her beautiful music. Go listen to Gospel Oak and be good to yourself.